What up, guys? Welcome back. Thanks for joining another special Friday edition of the podcast. Like I was telling you guys, just kind of separating out the formatting and changing it up a little bit. Monday is the recaps for the previous weekend's fights. Wednesday's general what's going on in the world of MMA and combat sports or of this segment rules episode. And then Fridays is when I'm trying to be consistent and give you my picks for the upcoming weekend's fights coming the following day. And in this case, we have a banger of a main event with this UFC Fight Night card coming up this weekend with Edson Barboza facing Giga Chikadze. Now, I've really been looking forward to this main event, you know, obviously being partial to striking, coming from MMT. Of course, I love all skill sets in MMA. That's why I'm such a fan. But even though these guys can do it all, they predominantly like to have the fight take place on the feet. And with over 60 combined kickboxing fights between them, I do not expect this to be much other than a four-ounce glove kickboxing match in a cage and I am down for that, so let's get into it. There's a few other fun fights on the card. If you don't know, this is also kind of doubling as a Ultimate Fighter season finale with two weight classes going to be crowning an Ultimate Fighter season uh, winner between middleweight and bantamweight. Of course, the season 29 Ultimate Fighter with Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega as the coaches wrapped up, and uh, it's going to be, let's see, Brian Battle and middleweight. Brian Battle versus Gilbert Urbina. And then at bantamweight, it's Ricky Tercios versus Brady Heiston. So those are the potential uh, winners for the this season, the Ultimate Fighter. And so this card is it's got, it's pretty fun. There are a few other notable names and fun fighters that uh, you guys would recognize that are on the card also. Uh, Kevin Lee's coming back from double knee surgery. I believe he busted his uh, rib as well during uh, his last training camp. And then he's, I think, over two years of inactivity. So... He's looking to come back and get a win, but he's coming back at welterweight again, and he's facing Daniel Rodriguez after his opponent, Sean Brady, had to pull out. D-Rod is stepping up somewhat last-minute notice. I believe it's a couple weeks, maybe a week or so, uh, to face Kevin Lee in their fight. So I'm looking forward to that one. That one's going to be fun. And then you know it's always a good time when smiling Sam Alvey's on the card. He's coming back again at middleweight, and he's facing, uh, what's his name, Wellington Terman. And the main event of the prelims is Alicio DeKitico versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So that's definitely one you want to make sure to not miss. And then also we have Mahmoud Muradov, who's undefeated in the UFC, 3-0 and so far in his UFC tenure. Doing a lot of good things so far, and they're putting him up against Gerald Mearshart in the opening fight of the main card. Kind of think it's somewhat of a showcase matchup for Muradov, but it'll be interesting to see how he contends against someone with a hell of a lot more experience and someone who's always got that submission threat in his back pocket, kind of similar to a Paul Craig. And, you know, Mearshart has faced every type of fighter. Again, he's got a lot of that experience, and a lot of the people in the gym say, you know, at any given night he could submit any guy on the planet. So uh, we'll, we'll see if Muradov can solve the puzzle that is Gerald Mearshart and continue his upward ascension. So like I was saying, a few other fun fights and matchups on the card outside the main event, but... All roads do lead to that main event, and that's really the cherry on top of the cake. So we're going to briefly get into the ones at the bottom of the card, kind of bl- blaze through them, give, them my, give you my picks pretty quickly, just kind of give you the odds and their attributes and records, and then tell you who I'm going with, and then so I can spend a little bit more time on the ones up towards the top, especially the main event. So let's get into it. Opening up the card, we have Mana Martinez versus Guido Canetti. And it looks like we got a couple opposite stance fighters with the minus 280 favorite Martinez uh, being orthodox stance versus the Southpaw plus 230 underdog Canetti. And and this one's actually kind of interesting because Mana Martinez was scheduled to fight Trevin Jones two weekends ago. 
And then that got scratched for, I looked it up, undisclosed reasons for Martinez falling off. Trevin Jones got the can kicked down the road one week, which we saw him compete last week against last-minute replacements, uh, Saeed Jakub Krakramanov. And so Martinez, he ended up getting rescheduled one week down the road from that. And this is the opponent he gets, Guido Canetti. So, again, it was undisclosed reasons. I'm not sure if it was a COVID protocol situation or something like that. But the 5'10 Martinez is a pretty deep, pretty heavy favorite over the 5'6 Canetti. I think the um, the experience that Canetti have, has over Martinez is, is the one thing that stands out. But he's coming off of two losses. I believe he's like 41 years old. Uh, I believe he's a good grappler, but barring, you know, Martinez getting taken down and being on his back for three rounds, I think it's I'm going to go with the younger, you know, more youthful fighter. He's probably going to have the more elusive fo- footwork. I feel like he's going to be able to keep the distance better. And in this matchup, it, it mostly comes down to that. Martinez does have his first uh, fight in the UFC was a loss to Draco Martinez. It was actually on the contender series. But it was a submission loss by triangle choke. So as long as he's able to keep it standing, I think he comes out on top of this one. So going with Mana Martinez for the first fight. Then moving on. The next one is Jamal Emmers versus Pat Sabatini. Let's see here. Minus 156 favorite Emmers has a 2-inch height and 4-inch reach advantage over Pat Sabatini. Uh, Let's see. A little bit shorter average fight time. And it also has 5.75 strikes landed per minute uh, in the average with three UFC fights. He's got more UFC experience than Sabatini, but not necessarily on the winning side of things. He's a loss to Julian Arosa. He's got a split decision loss to the main event fighter, Giga Chikadze. And then in his most recent fight, pretty much almost exactly a year ago, uh, he's got a win over Vince Cachero. So uh, he's coming off a win. So is Pat Sabatini back in April of this year. April 2021, Pat Sabatini has a unanimous decision win over Tristan Connolly. So both guys coming into this matchup uh, with momentum. But, you know, I don't disagree with the odds. I think Emmers, you know, should win. But for me, I don't know how to, to explain it other than to say he's just one of those fighters that seems like he's got all the ingredients but just hasn't quite put it together yet. And for that reason, uh, and also because I feel like Tristan Connolly is, is kind of a dog. Like, And Pat Sabatini really had to, to earn that win, so... Um, I think he's going to potentially, maybe Jamal's going to start off good, but I think Pat Sabatini is going to eventually, the momentum's going to swing in his favor. And so second fight of the night, going with Pat Sabatini and going after those underdog points. And then moving on, we have J.J. Aldrich versus Vanessa Demopoulos. Um, J.J. Aldrich was originally scheduled to fight Tracy Cortez, uh, who does have a heavy wrestling skill set, so you know Aldridge was working on her takedown defense and her grappling in this camp. Vanessa Demopoulos came through. I think it's like two weeks notice. And guys, if you ever hear me go against someone that's actually stepped foot inside the walls of MMT, I mean, take it as a sign. I'm obviously extremely loyal, shouting everybody out whenever I have the opportunity. And like, like for instance, when I went with Sean Strickland uh, over Uriah Hall, and Uriah Hall is actually trained strength and conditioning with Kelvin and John Walker at MMT at, at one point in time. He's a great dude. And I went with Sean Strickland, like trying to go with my head over my heart right so if you guys ever see me go with somebody uh, or against somebody that's actually trained at one point or another at mmt it's probably like a red flag that you should probably fade that person just just so you know and so that's ultimately what i'm going to do in this case i think jg aldrich has very good striking and i think she's only getting better um you know she got kind of thrust into this game before she may have been ready but she slowly kind of learned on the job and and uh refined her skill set over time and she's 
you know, work to try to just kind of be a sprawling brawler for the most part. She d- is definitely more comfortable on the feet. Uh, but she's not, you know, out of the woods or a fish out of water on the ground. And she just would prefer to be on top, obviously. And in this case, Vanessa Demopoulos, she's, you know, she's an okay striker. She trains on a black house. And, um, you know, but she's primarily, uh, her skill set is going to be focused in the grappling department, the jiu-jitsu, wrestling. She's got good top pressure. She has decent submissions. So she's more than likely going to be throwing heavy shots, trying to close distance, maybe push her up against the cage and hold her there and then, peel her to the ground and try to either, you know, inflict damage from top control or eventually look for a sub. And don't get me wrong, she's extremely strong. And I love Little Monster. Vanessa's the shit. Like, I, I think she's going to, you know, continue to improve. And I just think JJ's got a little bit more experience than her at this level and it's got better striking and good takedown defense. So if Vanessa can't seem to get it into, into her world, uh, I just don't see her coming out with the victory here. So, um, I'm going to go, let me double check the odds. I, I'm pretty certain here, but just to make sure, yeah, minus, damn, pretty wide odds. Minus 360 favorite for J.J. Aldridge versus plus 290 for uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. So I'm going with the heavy favorite, J.J. Aldridge, to get the win. And then we have Darren Stewart versus Dustin Jacoby. It's a light heavyweight bout. Darren Stewart's bounced back and forth from middleweight to light heavyweight. If you recall, he faced Eric Anders in his last two fights. Once at middleweight and then a rematch uh, up at heavyweight. Lost both of them. One was a no contest, actually. A disqualification uh, to Anders. And then the last fight at light heavyweight, he lost a decision to Anders. Although that one's really close and Anders might have got a little bit of home cooking in that one. But my point is is that Dustin Jacoby is a more natural light heavyweight as far as his size. He had an early stint in the UFC. Didn't do well. Left. Put some things together. Sharpened up his striking in particular. He competed in glory for a little bit. And then it made his way back to the UFC through the Contender Series. He's had two official fights in the UFC in the second stint. Once against Justin Ledette, which is kind of a foregone conclusion if he's got that much striking ability. Justin Ledette got KO'd. And then he faced, um, who was it, Maxim Grishin after that. And that was a tough fight. He won, but it was a very tough fight. Showed that he's still got some things he needs to work on. And then, like I was saying about Darren Stewart not quite being the huge, the largest light heavyweight. I mean, he's not a small one either. He's he's just a little bit more like thick and not cutting weight. He's got he's very muscular. He's got a big upper body, big tree trunk thighs. Like he's just a thicker dude, even though he's not the tallest um, of even middleweights. But he's uh, only six foot tall. So at light heavyweight, that's not the not the tallest. He's got a seventy four inch reach. And then uh, Dustin Jacoby, 6'3", 76-inch reach, who you would presume is going to want to keep the distance and make it a striking affair given the fact that he's got that kickboxing experience. And and I can attest from the fights that I've seen, uh, his most recent two fights, that if he gets things going on the feet, he's very dangerous. And he's quite technical but creative. And uh, he has a tendency to try to um, front load the fight, though. And that's like the... One criticism I have is making sure he manages his cardio because with all those combinations, like he can drain himself, expend a lot of energy, and that Maxim Grisham fight was was pretty dicey towards the end of that third round. He looked really tired. So um, if Darren Stewart, you know, fighting up a weight class closer to his natural weight can, you know, outlast Jacoby in terms of the, the cardio, there's a chance that it could look similar to that Grisham fight. And if Dustin ends up wearing himself out, you know, with, uh, front-loading the fight and throwing too many strikes, not balancing his approach, and he puts himself in that kind of a position late in the fight, whether it's on the feet because Darren Stewart, he hits like a fucking Mack truck himself, just a little bit less volume, a little bit more stiff. I mean, he's 
he's very explosive physically, but it just doesn't seem like he's uh, as fluid with his strikes. But there is that fucking power. So, I mean, if Jacoby is extremely tired late in the fight, he could either get taken down and busted up on the ground uh, with Stewart on top of him, or he could land the, the, the eraser shot that just undoes all the progress that Jacoby's had if he's been touching him up to that point. So that's the only thing that makes me nervous. Uh, Jacoby is the favorite, actually. <clears throat> Let's see, minus 174 favorite for Jacoby with the plus 146 underdog Darren Stewart. Yep. So I'm going to go with the favorite Dustin Jacoby in this one. I mean, got to go with my namesake, right? Of course. And obviously somebody who's got sharp skills on the feet. So there's always that. But uh, yeah, so I think uh, Dustin Jacoby ends up coming uh, coming out on top in this one. And next we have Smiling Sam Alvey versus Wellington Turman. And uh, man, Sam Alvey, just the guy won't go away. Always fun. He's always an exciting fighter. He's a fan favorite. Uh, but if you look at his last five fights, he's got... Four losses and one draw, so not going so great. He went up to light heavyweight for a bit. It's his second fight back down at middleweight. I, in fact, think, uh, you know, from following his social media that he's in really good shape. He actually moved gyms, though, during in between these camps, so that's never good. Never know if there's going to be some, like, growing pains with transitioning or not having the nor- normal train- training partners you're used to, stuff like that, so that's not boding well for him. But in terms of, like, if, if you don't look at his actual record wins and loss, if you looked at his performances, his last performance, uh, his first fight back down at 185, he looked good. He looked better. And uh, I'm expecting him to at least be that same level, if not even better, in this fight. And even though, you know, 1996, he's 10 years younger than him, you'd think Wellington Turner would be, you know, more fresh. And, you know, his youth would be there. And, his, and he would be able to get through a, a vet that's obviously past the peak of his career. Uh, and Sam Alvey, that you'd think Wellington Terman would be the way to go here, but I'm, I don't think I'm just going with my heart in this sense. Of course, I'm always going to be rooting for uh, Sam Alvey to get the win, but I think this is more like the the odds aren't reflecting the the type of fight that Wellington Terman's had. The last couple fights of his that I've watched, I feel like he's going to want to engage in a way that's going to just walk right into Sam Alvey's skill set. He's going to try to walk him down and literally uh, linear linearly and cut off Sam Alvey and just let Sam Alvey do exactly what he likes to do, which is back up against the cage and just wait to counter you when you step in. And if you watch the last couple of fights, I don't even think Sam's all that chinny, even this late in his career, having, you know, let's see, 48, 50 fights. You know what I'm saying? So um, I think this is one of those spots where people are underestimating the old dog, the old veteran, and that think he's washed. And I think that, um, you know, Sam Alvey might be washed and compared to his prime self. But I still think he's got enough in the tank to take out this young guy. Wellington Tournament. So I'm going for it. Sam Alvey, baby. Let's go. And then we come to the featured prelim, which is Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Alessio DeKirico. And this one, I think, is very high chance of being fight of the night. Um, if you look at Razak Al-Hassan's last three fights, uh, last five fights, let's take a look at that. He's two and three in his last five. In his last three fights, he's lost all three. And all of those fights... He was doing very well at the beginning of the fight. Kind of similar to that I was talking about with Jacoby, but a little different. This guy comes out and, like, hurts his opponents and almost finishes them in the first round and then, you know, blows his load, so to speak. And then if he's if he doesn't put away his opponent, he's extremely exhausted and he is just surviving the rest of the fight. So um, not sure if he's going to be able to shore that up because I think that's a, 
a mental as well as a cardio thing. He's obviously got to increase his cardio and work on that too. But a lot of that kind of stuff is more of a a, a, a mental thing, approach, or your attitude to how you're trying to for are you trying to force the knockout or are you trying to manage your energy systems to really look for that opening. And Dikitiko, on the other hand, he also starts uh, pretty fast and he's not afraid of confrontation early in the fight. If you, you know, he doesn't get paid by the hour. So you want to make this a quick night, step into the center and just kind of see who's the better fighter. Like he's not afraid to engage. He, he's definitely going to engage early. Um, and I just think this fight, to me, this fight kind of reminds me of like literally two like rams, two like mountain goats, just fucking, it's gonna, they're just going to like bang, they're going to clash in the center and they're going to figure out who's going to wilt pretty quickly in this fight. And then someone's either going to kind of try to be surviving at that point. And uh, I, I I get the feeling that Dechinico is going to have the sustained attack and uh, be able to be just as dangerous in the towards the end of the fight as he is at the beginning. And wherein Razak Al-Hassan kind of slowly um, diminishes in terms of his danger and, and like the the stinging power of his strikes and his explosiveness just kind of tapers off over, over the course of the fight. So... Uh, I'm going to go with the favorite in this one, Dikitiko, to come out on top. And then we have the upcoming prospect I was talking about earlier, and he's got a win over Dikitiko, and that is Mahmoud Muradov, and he's facing Gerald Mearshart. Now, I don't know what Gerald Mearshart did to piss off the organization, and of course I'm joking because he's a sweetheart of a dude. Like I don't think he really did anything, but he's just always down to say yes, take on the toughest challenges. He never asks for a different matchup or an easier matchup. He's just, you know, Styles make fights a lot of the times, and he's just always in bad matchups, always. He's always got that threat to be able to submit you, as I referred to, as I mentioned earlier, same thing with Paul Craig. And, you know, he's got a lot of wealth of experience, 32 and 14 overall, so he can always lean on that, and 25 and 6 overall for Muradov. So he's not uh, a spring chicken in terms of overall MMA experience. But he only has three fights in the UFC, so somewhat of a kind of test to see, you know, does Muradov take a step to the next level of, or is he, you know, is he not ready for that yet? So we're going to find out. If he can get past Mearshart, then um, I think he, that means he's legit and he'll be out, you know, at least able to hold his own with the legit grappler in the division. So we'll see how this goes, but I'm going to go with the heaviest favorite on the card, minus 630, like prohibitive. There's no way I'm putting money on that. But I'm going with Muradov to get the dub. Okay, and then for the next three, I'm, I'm not going to lie, guys. I, I didn't really catch much of the Ultimate Fighter this season. Caught some clips online, but I never really sat down and watched an entire episode front to back. Uh, heard a lot about the Ricky show and Ricky Tertios and that he's a wild guy, very un- unorthodox and just an interesting character. But for the most part, I, I don't know much about any of these guys. So other than taking a look at like stats and looking at them on paper, I'm mostly just relying on uh, some of the people that I listen to and go for, go to for advice and picks and stuff like that. So um, I'm basically leaving it to other people to make these picks for me. I'm not going to lie. So I'm just going to list them off here. I'm going to go with uh, Andre Petrosky, and then I'm going to go uh, with the Bantamweight final. I am going to go with Ricky Tercios. And then for the middleweight final, I'm going to go with Brian Battle. And that one, uh, the Battle versus Gilbert Urbina, that one's actually the co-main event. So for that one, um, I'm I'm just going to go with the safe bet and say Brian Battle by decision. Kind of shooting blind here, but yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. And then, so we skipped over one. Uh, I consider this one, to, I thought this one should have been the co-main event. No disrespect to the tough finalists. I just, you know, I feel like the higher more elite level fighters should go, you know, up at the top of the card. But 
I get it. They need the shine. They're the ones that they deserve the shine. They're the ones that are that went through the whole season. So I get it. But in my mind, the Kevin Lee versus Daniel Rodriguez fight is the co-main event. So I'm going to be doing a method of victory for this pick also. So Kevin Lee, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode, has been, had a tough go of it, man. I mean, he's had a couple of losses. Most recently lost uh, the current lightweight champ, Charles Oliveira. That was all the way back at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020 in Brazil. And uh, he, you know, he was doing very well in that fight. And he just kind of made uh, some poor fight IQ decisions that put him in a position. And he eventually he got submitted in that fight. And that was after coming off that um, highlight reel performance against Gregor Gillespie. But then previous to that, at welterweight, <clears throat> he lost to Rafael Dos Anjos. And it seemed like he actually, you know, gassed out in that fight a little bit, uh, you know, faster than he normally would because of the fact that it was up at welterweight and he had to utilize more of his wrestling and he had to, you know, utilize more strength and more energy. And Dos Anjos, obviously, you know, has a motor for days. So he made him work. And that's partially how he was able to get the victory was by draining Kevin Lee and gassing him out. So that's one of my concerns about him just in general. And then the fact that he's he's not a large welterweight. He's actually somewhat small in terms of uh, height for lightweight. He's one of those guys that's like a perfect tweener. Like if there was a 165, he'd be perfect for that. But one of the mind-blowing stats about him, which makes him have success, you know, at times in both weight classes is, though even though he's only 5'9", he's got a 77-inch reach, which is just bonkers. So this fight is really interesting, um, especially with the added pressure of coming off of a double knees replacement surgery, essentially, and not having competed for over well over a year, closer to two than one. So, um, you know, there's a lot of X factors coming into this fight, as well as just in general with Kevin Lee. Like, he's kind of similar that we were talking about earlier with, like, Jamal Emmers. And it's not just these guys. But there's a lot of different fighters out there that it seems almost like almost – like, they have all, this, all the ingredients, they got all the skills, they got all the abilities, but they haven't seemed to really put things together yet. Well, that's normally something you see with, like, you know, younger, up-and-coming fighters, younger in their career, and they're, you know, some of those people have to go through some tough losses and then put themselves back together, build back up, and then they learn some of those extremely valuable lessons over, those, over time through experience. But it's not common that you see someone that's been in the game as long as Kevin Lee has where... It's just kind of like one fight, you see flashes of brilliance, like he could definitely be a champion in one day, and then he's not consistent. Other fights, it seems like he's not mentally there, seems like he checks out, seems like he can make some poor fight IQ decisions. And uh, it's interesting, like I said, he you know comes out and a lot of times he has success early and then ends up either fading or just, you know, when he, kind of like Connor, man, I'm not trying to assault the guy, but... When Connor hits a significant amount of adversity and the fight's not going the way that he planned out in his head, it makes it uh, start to unravel pretty quickly. I'm a big fan of Kevin Lee. I've been watching him for a long time, and I think he's got all the tools and abilities, but, you know, like Uriah Hall and like a lot of other people, they say fighting is so like 80-plus percent mental, and it's literally because you can train your body to ex execute techniques all day long and have the muscle memory, have the cardio, have everything but then if your mind doesn't allow you to execute or if it you know blocks you with extra nerves or just you're distracted or you have an adrenaline dump so then now this cardio system you spent weeks building up you know you can't do much about it it just gets drained fast so there's a lot to it and i just think that uh kevin lee has too many of these unknowns and too many of these things working against him for me to go with them in this spot 
Daniel Rodriguez is a pretty damn big welterweight. He hits hard as fuck. He's extremely technical on the feet. He's got um, not the longer. That's crazy, though. He's He's got a reach disadvantage of three inches at 74 inches, but he's taller than Kevin Lee at, at 6'1". So with D-Rod also having a sneaky takedown defense, I think, unfortunately, Kevin Lee's going to have to try to utilize that wrestling. He's going to gas himself out by having to work so hard to try to get D-Rod to the floor. And then eventually Daniel Rodriguez, maybe late in the second, late in the third round, is going to land one of his bombs because he, he has down-the-middle striking and heavy hooks, and he he's crisp. His, his accuracy is through the, through the roof. And, uh, yeah, man, I just think that Daniel Rodriguez is just going to be too big and too strong, too physically imposing for Kevin Lee to be able to utilize that wrestling advantage, which I 100% think he's going to need in this fight in order to have any chance of winning. So I'm going with the underdog on this one, Daniel Rodriguez, to get the win. And now, Edson Barboza versus Giga Chikadze. I am fucking pumped for this fight. This is my kind of fight, guys. You guys ever watch Risen or One? Like, occasionally they do uh, basically Muay Thai fights in a cage with four-ounce gloves. Like, that's my all-time favorite thing to watch. And this fight is essentially going to be that. Now, obviously, Edson Barboza has a wider range of skills with his UFC tenure going back multiple years, as well as the list of different opponents that he's faced with different skill sets. Like, the guy has a ton of experience. Giga Chikadze is newer to the UFC, but Edson Barboza is newer to the featherweight division. He was a lightweight for the longest time and then dropped down to featherweight. Similar to Jose Aldo, he's really reinvigorated his career, and he's actually looked better at a weight class down, which is unfathomable considering how bricked up he was at 155. But down at 145, he's looked phenomenal. And these two guys are going to go at it. They both like to strike. Uh, and again, I think if you do see any grappling, it's going to be from Barboza, and it's only going to be if uh, Chikadze has more success on the feet than Barboza was anticipating. If he's got to reach deeper into his toolbox and start mixing things up a little bit more in order to throw Chikadze off and in order to open up opportunities for his strikes, which he could very well do, then I think uh, then that's really the only time you're going to see him mix it up in the grappling department. Now, um, Giga Chikadze is the taller fighter, but if you look at their kickboxing background, which I think I said earlier uh, in the intro, even though Chikadze has more fights, Barboza has more knockouts. So that kind of is a microcosm for how I think this is going to play out. I think Chikadze is going to be more mobile in, as far as trying to be elusive, trying to stick him, trying to stick him from the outside with his kicks. Obviously, he's got the Giga kick, which is essentially kind of a hybrid between a uh, switch kick and a teep kick to the liver. Kind of like a Mexican 45, you know, it's not quite a full coffee cup left hook and it's not quite an uppercut, but the left hook to the liver, that's kind of a hybrid of two, those two strikes. They call it a Mexican 45. The Giga kick is kind of like a kick version of that. Uh, but Edson Barbo Barboza has one of the most lightning fast and most powerful switch kicks to the body in the entire UFC. My point is, is both these guys bring a lot of striking weapons to the table. And uh, it's just going to be very, very fucking exciting. And no matter who wins, I think it's going to be all action. It's going to be extremely entertaining. And uh, it's just one of those fights that I just don't see uh, any way for it to disappoint. With both these guys being such high-level kickboxers and just intelligent, measured strikers, um, it's just a recipe for fucking some beautiful violence and possibly a highlight reel knockout by one of these guys. So... I'll be definitely locked in. But as far as who I think is going to win the fight, um, 
Uh, honestly, like Edson Barboza has more overall experience at 22 and nine uh, with his MMA record. Again, referencing earlier their kickboxing records, even with Edson Barboza having less fights than Giga, he's got more knockouts on that record. So I think he definitely has the power advantage. I believe he even has a speed advantage. Believe it or not, coming being the bigger fighter coming down from lightweight, but Giga again being six foot tall for a featherweight, that's pretty damn tall. He's got very long reach for that weight class. Uh, so, you know, his speed is roughly that of a 55 or anyway. So relatively competitive or comparable rather as far as speed. But I think Barboza, especially in terms of his countering ability, is going to be faster. So speed, power. I think he's just as creative, even though he doesn't really switch stances. Um, he doesn't necessarily use as many like poking and prodding kicks from the outside. He's a little bit more traditional with his Muay Thai techniques. But they are fucking devastating. Like his fight with Shane Burgos, his last fight. That knockout was just, it was like damn, damn, outright scary. It was crazy. But within the first 45 seconds of the fight, I think he landed like four or five calf kicks. So, Barboza's obviously got the advantage in terms of low kicks, but I think Giga has the advantage in terms of like uh, a wider arsenal of kicks, all types of kicks, the Giga kick, you know, head, uh, head kicks. He doesn't have to fully switch when he throws his lead leg. So, you know, it seems like he's got a mixture of, of kickboxing, Muay Thai, and like, some taekwondo techniques as well. So it's a little bit, they're, they're slightly different styles, albeit both elite level kickboxers, as I keep refer, as I keep referencing. Of course, Chikadze trains out of uh, Kings MMA in Huntington Beach with Rafael Cordero. Got Kelvin Gastelum, Marvin Vittori, and other people like those killers uh, in the training room as his training partners. And then uh, on the other side, we have Edson Barboza, who trains out of ATT. Got Mike Brown. You got a bunch of geniuses over there. So you know they're both going to be coming with elite-level game plans. And, um, you know, again, we might see Edson Barboza come out and try to grapple the first round, slow down the pace of the fight, wear out Chikadze a little bit, bring him into those deeper waters that Barboza has been in with this deeper level of experience with UFC competition. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail, and sometimes you have to find a way to work around when your original game plan isn't working, and I think... Uh, that that's going to be the difference in this fight. If there is an adversity that's faced on either side, I feel like Edson Barboza is going to have a plan B, plan C. He's going to have other options. Uh, he's legit on the ground, although we hardly ever see him down there. So he does have, uh, I believe, the grappling advantage on the ground in terms of like submission offense. So overall, I think there's just a slight edge in the favor of the veteran. Edson Barboza, some people think he's past his prime. Some people think that this is a passing of the torch. But it's, I'm of the opinion that Edson Barboza is firing on all cylinders and he's looked the best that he's ever looked, which is insane to say considering he made his debut back in 2010. And you know what card that was? That was UFC 123 when Rampage fought Machida. That's how long ago that was. That was OG shit. So to have him still be competing at this level, the elite, uh, man, like 11 years later, that's extremely impressive. And believe it or not, when the odds dropped, uh, I was looking on Sunday Last week when I was uh, looking ahead, and the, they actually, most of the books had Edson as a small underdog, where now, if you look at all the sports books, they've all flipped. There's a couple that are exactly even. There's a couple that are like minus 118 Barboza, minus 105 Chikadze. DraftKings is plus 100 for Chikadze, minus 120 for Barboza. So pretty much even fight as far as the odds go, but uh, some people, I'm sure, jumped on that line, that early line for Barboza, uh, underdog money. And it's, it's my expectation that they're going to be able to cash that ticket. Which leads me into my pick. I'm going to go with Edson Barboza in this one. 
I wish he would have stayed an underdog so I could snag those extra points. But, yeah, I think the experience, uh, the size, the power, the speed uh, in terms of his countering ability. Uh, Shane Burgos, man, it only took him about a round or so to get the timing on that jab. And then he was countering over the top lightning fast. And he doesn't just throw one strike. He's very good at, at stringing combinations together. So it's my feeling this is uh, going to end up being one of the most high-level kickboxing uh, technical fights that we've ever seen in the octagon. So get ready for it because it's going to be fucking wild. And being that this is the main event in a five-round fight, I think actually Giga's probably going to have success early. I think he's going to be very mobile, moving around a lot, skirting the outside of the cage. Not so much just like you stand there, we'll tit for tat, I throw one, you, you throw one. I think he's more... Uh, mobile than that in terms of his approach and his, his striking style. So I think, you know, he could very well even win maybe one or two rounds in terms of, like, total strikes. But I feel like Edson Barboza is going to be landing the cleaner, more devastating, more damaging, damage-inflicting strikes. And it's going to end up making Giga tentative uh, when he realizes that he's not taking over the fight. When he's not building momentum, he's actually slowing down a little bit and his strikes aren't quite doing as much damage. And then over the course of the first couple of rounds, I feel like Barboza is going to be utilizing that low calf kick and his low leg kicks to really thwart the movement of Chikadze. And then eventually, everyone's going to slow down just a little bit. A little bit of fatigue sets in. Those leg kicks are starting to build up. And then now they're going to be relatively standing in front of each other. And when that happens, I feel like Edson Barboza is going to start to take over this fight. He's durable as fuck. He's old school, hard-nosed. And he's just a, he just loves the fight. So one thing I do know for sure is regardless of the outcome, we are all in for a treat. But at the end of the day, someone's got to win, and I got to make a pick. So I'm going with Edson Jr. Barboza with a fourth-round TKO. So that finishes up the card, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the breakdowns. But one last thing we're going to cover before we get out of here for this week. We got a ex-Disney star YouTuber Jake Paul, the problem child, taking on Tyron the Chosen One Woodley in a boxing match this Saturday. It's an official pro boxing match sanctioned by the Ohio State Athletic Commission and it's promoted by Showtime Boxing. So this is not a thriller event. This is a real fight and against, a, in my opinion, a, a tough-ass opponent. So got to give him respect for that. Regardless of what you think about the guy, like there's no denying that his skills have, have been progressing and they're going to continue to progress. He's taking it serious. Regardless of what you see on camera, behind closed doors, he's training hard and he's taking it serious and he's a young dude. So, of course, he's going to make improvements. So, uh, I'm not going to go in-depth as far as, like, the breakdown or anything like that. But if you guys didn't see what happened today at the press conference, let me let me just ask you first. Do you guys remember when, uh, you know, Connor, when he was making his meteoric rise in the featherweight division and was, like, working his way to become the superstar that he is? You know, he poked the bear a lot during that ascension, right? And then eventually he poked the bear or poked the chest of a guy who actually wrestled bears. And we saw how that worked out for him, right? Well, Jake Paul has been poking the bear of the MMA community his entire, you know, boxing career. And today he poked Mama Bear. Fucking Mama Woodley, Tyra Woodley's mom, the entire MMA community, and then some stepped up in her defense. And basically, I mean, Jake Paul himself didn't do anything, but it was his team that was just, you know, disrespecting Tyra Woodley's mother. And, I mean, you don't do that. That crosses the line. I don't care who you are. Like, this this is a sport at the end of the day, and these two are going at each other in a ring. They could talk shit. They could do what they want in the lead up, but you don't be talking shit to mom. That's just a bitch move, plain and simple. And up to this point, I was pretty much on the fence because, like, I'm not one of those guys that's not able to, like, let my opinion about someone's public persona, like, blind me to their skills or lack thereof, you know? Like, CM Punk, very popular, terrible fighter. 
you know, like there's other people that aren't very popular that are awesome fighters. So try to make sure to wade through that. So I was on the fence, not exactly sure which way I wanted to go. And still seeing them stand next to each other, I feel like Jake Paul is going to have a significant size, like in terms of his length and reach advantage. And uh, Tyron's predominantly a right-handed fighter, even when he's using both hands. So my worry is that he's not going to be able to get inside and that Jake Paul's going to be able to sting him with the jab and literally keep it re- relatively simple and just keep him from being able to touch him, keep him from being able to touch him and with anything significant. And then, uh, you know, so that's my worry because I feel like Jake definitely has the more technical boxing skills since he's been training that specifically for the past three-plus years, right? Tyron Woodley's been doing it for, like, eight weeks, 12 weeks, you know what I'm saying? So point being is uh, in terms of their actual talent, skills, and abilities, I think it's a relatively close fight, believe it or not. But this is what I'm going to do. Fuck that, man. You don't fuck with Mama Woodley. So I've definitely picked a side. I want Tyron Woodley to knock his ass out. And I hope he goes for it, man. I hope he goes Luke on his ass and just goes goes for it, you know. Cardio be damned. Like, decision be damned. This is the biggest stage of your career, and it's the first fight you've ever had in a professional boxing match. And just the circumstances surrounding it are just so, like, just strange and, and not normal. So I think Tyron Woodley understands the game well enough to know that if he goes in there and makes an exciting account of himself and just goes for it, uh, you know, and, and, and people walk away from the event going, damn, that was incredible. Regardless of who gets their actual hand raised, I think it will be a win in the end. So I think he like he keeps saying on his Instagram and in his social media that he's going big. Like he dropped another music. Uh, I think it was I don't know. I think it was just a song. I don't think it was a whole record, but I'm sure he's got some crazy plan for the walkouts. And, you know, he's a multimedia type guy. He's, he's uh, directing and producing a show, I believe, on ABC now. And he's got a bunch of other ventures that not a lot of people know about. So I think he's just trying to take advantage of this platform as much as possible. And if he knows, if he goes out there and and ultimately people walk away from this feeling good about it, feeling like they got their money's worth and being entertained, then they're going to leave with his value going up in their mind and his future revenue streams also going up in their mind, even if it's not in boxing. But please do not misunderstand me. It is extremely obvious that this guy has been taking this fight very seriously, wants nothing more than to be able to go in there and shut this guy up. He's been locked down in the boxing gym, said he's run more than he's ever run in his UFC career for this camp, and he's like almost almost regretting that he didn't have something like this happen that forced him into this new training routine and regiment and this new level of discipline that he felt he actually would have been able to benefit from in his MMA career so he truly does sound like he's telling the truth when he says he feels as good as he's ever had he's lean as fuck he looks like he's ready to go he doesn't have to cut the weight so let's go Tyron Woodley let's get this done but that's it guys thank you so much for sticking around hope you enjoyed the breakdowns and make sure to come back on Monday where I dropped the recap episode where I'll be talking about all the fights coming out of UFC Fight Night by Bozo versus Jikadze. Obviously talking about the results from the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley boxing match and anything else that pops off in between. But until then, enjoy the fights tomorrow night and we'll see you on Monday. Peace.